0: We're starting a a teaching series which is going to run this week and the next two weeks which I called a Christmas surprise because surprises are a big part of Christmas aren't they and uh, really part of that you know goes way back and uh, it's lovely to be able to surprise people with things and particularly when you've got kids right. Isn't it great to see their faces when they open the gifts and they're like absolutely just amazed and surprised at what they get. I, I know when our kids were young, we, we really, uh, you know, you do that kind of thing. Nowadays, you know, Charlotte was out with some friends doing some shopping this last day or two and I totally expected today for her to say to me, Dad, this is what you bought me for Christmas. Here's how much you owe me uh, because that's kind of how it goes nowadays But back in the day, you know, I remember the Christmas when her and her her brother, we got the two children, wanted, this is going way back, when we had the little computer systems, I forget what it was called even, to play video games, computer games, and that was what they wanted. Now, we didn't have much money, we said, you can have that, but it's going to be a joint gift. And in September of that year, I saw this thing on sale. And I was absolutely delighted. I bought it and we got it on sale and we packed it away and thought we've got exactly what they want until November when the daughter of the family who happens to be here with us today said, no, I don't want that anymore. which kind of totally messed up the whole thing. And we, you know, we kind of, no, it's going to be good. And you know what? It's kind of a big thing. We can't afford it just for one of you. No, I don't want it anymore. No, I don't want it anymore. And um, that Christmas, we hunted around like lunatics for the thing that she said she really wanted. And of course, she really won out because they had the computer system as well. Devious kids. Our, Our son, when he was really young, wanted a dog. I mean, he must have been about six years old, maybe, and he wanted a puppy. He was desperate for a puppy, just in general, not for Christmas. I want a puppy. I want a puppy. We said, "No, we're not getting a puppy." I'll look after it. Now, <laughs> oh, you heard that one too, right? <laughs> right? I'll do everything for it. Yeah, yeah. You heard that story too, right? So he didn't get a puppy. And then there was a—it was a sale at his school for to raise money for a charity, and they were selling off stuff that the kids brought in, kind of used stuff and that. And, and we saw him coming towards our house, coming back from school, and he, was, he had a string and he was pulling something. He had this little plastic lamb on wheels. And when he came to the house, he said, it's okay, I don't need a dog. This can be my dog. No, no, that's not cute. That is called manipulation. Manipulation. That's what that is. No, that's not cuteness. That's no, 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 no. No, he no, he was just trying to he was just trying to really make the point there. So that Christmas, that Christmas I, you know, I I I I got in touch with the breeder and we got this little puppy. I went and picked it up from the breeder on Christmas Eve and we we took it then down to some friends of ours and uh, late on Christmas Eve, we do Christmas morning we give. So late on Christmas Eve I went and picked it up and I had this, you know, we had this little dog out in an area of the house overnight. And then when we started doing gifts in the morning, don't, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me here, okay? Just for a few just for a few moments, I put the puppy in a box. Okay, don't not only activists get in touch. Don't don't all you get on my case. It was just for moments. I put it in the box, I put paper around, we took it in, and here's this picture. Christmas surprise. That's a classic, right? That was one of the best Christmases, I think. Uh, Except that we had our friend Pete Butt, who was with us recently with us. We had two small children. He had four small children. And for its own safety, we had to put the dog somewhere out of the way because these six little kids just wanted to handle the thing all day long. Christmas is a time for surprises, And what I want to look at over the next couple of weeks is is that and and three particular ways. And today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about God's split-second timing. God's split-second timing because nobody was expecting the birth of Jesus. Israel had been praying for centuries for the Messiah, for the Savior, but it was kind of part of what they did. Nobody was looking for him that night. Hey, Mary, as far as we know, wasn't expecting an angelic visitation telling her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And for that matter, the night he was born, when the shepherds were in the fields and the angels came, the Bible says they were terrified. They were not expecting an angelic visitation saying that Christ had come. And the wise men who came from the east were basically confused. They saw the star, they, 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 they read into it that the Savior had been born, but they didn't know where and they didn't know how to find him even. It was a mystery. In fact, the night that Jesus was born might be summed up in the words of the great theologian Walter Cronkite, what sort of day was it? A day like all days, filled with all those events that alter and illuminate our times. And you were there. Well, we weren't, and yet we are. Because today we really start to focus on the birth of the Son of God. God's split-second timing. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the set time had fully come. It's difficult for us to conceive because for us, history is just um, really divided into two parts. There is B.C., there is A.D. There was the time before Jesus was born. There was the time since Jesus was born. But there was no B.C. and A.D. then. It was 3,758 on the Jewish calendar. And it was another day. It was another night. They weren't expecting it. They weren't looking for it. But God had been planning this moment from before creation. God split second timing. A couple of things I just want to emphasize with that in mind today. Number one, God is always in control. God is always in control. Even when things seem out of control to us, God is always in control. Even when it seems we're praying and nothing's happening, God is always in control. You you know, when Jesus was born after he was born and he started his ministry when he was 30 years of age, and it says this in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter one. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near." Repent and believe the good news. I want you to notice just that opening phrase. Jesus said, the time has come. He was born at the time that the Father had established it should happen. He started his teaching and preaching and miraculous ministry when the time had come. And Jesus was always aware of that. And right through the course of his teaching and his ministry, on so many occasions, he would refer to the time the times that have been set, the hour. And then three and a half years later, as we're getting nearer to the time that Jesus was gonna be crucified, as he starts to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with his disciples, it, it tells us this in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 18. Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So Jesus sends them to go ahead and to prepare the Passover and what he says is that the appointed time now is near. He celebrates the Passover, the last supper we call it sometimes, with his disciples and then, you might remember, he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he kneels in prayer in the Garden, the, 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 the biggest content of that prayer is recorded by John in John's Gospel. And, and here's how Jesus started his prayer in John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour is come. Jesus knew that that night he was going to be arrested. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified in the morning. And as he prayed in Gethsemane, his statement was this Father, the hour is come. I want to glorify you. Everything was working towards that. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, It says this, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The whole of the life and death of Jesus was planned by the Father. God's split second timing. What does that say to you and me today? It says this, wherever your life is right now, and whatever is happening in your personal life, whatever is happening where your health is concerned, where your hopes are concerned, where your finances are concerned, whatever is happening in your family life, your marriage, your home, with children, with grandchildren, whatever is happening as you look to the future and, and, and view it as you see it, And thank God, whatever is happening in Congress or on Capitol Hill or anywhere in that town, the reality is this. God is always in control. God is always in control. When I was in high school... um, when when you got to uh, I think it was ninth or tenth grade, you had the option and you could you could join a a, a whole thing we had with military cadets and you could do a thing uh, outside of school hours connected with the school and we had army cadets and we had air force cadets. I decided I wanted to be an air force cadet because I liked the uniform better. Okay, no d- disrespect to anyone who served in any other branch of the ministry of the ministry of the military. <laughs> But uh, I liked the Air Force because they had the coolest outfits. So I joined the Air Force cadets, and we used to do drills, and we did all kinds of stuff. And then there came the thing that we were really looking forward to is we were going to fly. And we went through all of these classes and all of this instruction, and we were going to go up in a two-seater chipmunk plane where the pilot sat in the front, and we sat, you know, I would sit behind. And we were given all kinds of instructions as to what to do, what you touch, what you don't touch, um, how to use a parachute. <laughs> I really didn't need to know that. You know, I hoped I wouldn't need to know that. Uh, and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they told us because it was, you know, it's just a little plane. They said, you know, when you, w- one of the things to do if you've got to use the parachute is you make sure you go out head first. Because if you go out feet first, the tail of the plane might come and slice your head off. But if you go the other way, the worst case scenario is you only use your feet. That was really comforting. <laughs> I was glad to know that. That has helped me right through life. But, but here's what they told they, So they said, now, when you get up there and when we're at a reasonable altitude, here's what's going to happen. The pilot is going to say to you, take the controls. Because there was a set of controls in the passenger seat as well, take the controls. And then when he says, take the controls, you say, I am taking the controls. They said, the pilot will say, you are in control. And at that point, you say, I am in control. And I was so pumped and excited for that moment that I didn't realize when it actually became a reality, I would be frightened out of my skull. It's like, I'm in this plane, and I just said, I am in control. And I'm holding this darn joystick, and I'm thinking, if I screw this thing up, we're both dead. But you know what helped me? I knew in the back of my mind, I wasn't really in control. Because he was still in front of me with a joystick of his own. And if I messed it up, he could correct it. God is always in control. God is always in control. And when your life seems to be out of control in some ways, when things seem to be going in a direction that you don't really hadn't planned for and really causes you anxiety, I want to tell you this, never ever forget this. God is in control. God is in control. God has got us and he will never let us go. God's got the plan. God's got the plan. I can't always understand. In fact, I can't often understand the whys and the hows. Can you? Good. Well, there's three of us who admit our limitations, and the rest of you are quite amazing people. But we can, right? Right? We can't. I don't know the whys. I don't know the hows. But that doesn't mean to say God hasn't got the plan, that God hasn't got control, because he does have the plan, and he does have control. God is always in control, and God does everything in his time, which is always the right time, though we may not have realized it before. In fact, that leads me into the second thing. God is never late. Now, I was going to say God is never early or late, but the truth is we've never been worried about God being early, right? Well, that came quicker than I expected. Thank you, God, right? That's never upset us, right? I mean, what's got us worried at times is when we felt God wasn't hearing and God wasn't doing anything. But the truth is God is never late. When Jesus was born, the time that God had set, That was a time that came after hundreds of years of predictions that he would come. In uh, Matthew 1 and verse 22, it says this. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 600 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah says, hey, this is going to be, this miracle happens, a virgin is going to conceive, she is going to give birth to a son, and the son will be called Emmanuel because God will be with us. Now the thing is this, when, we, when God kind of whispers something to us, we always kind of think it's now, Right? Like, did you ever sit and listen to teaching on a Sunday morning and it suddenly hit you and you had fresh hope in your heart? Like, did it ever happen, like, just once? Yeah. Or you heard of a friend that it did, right? Right? And then when God speaks to us, but the trouble is, when God speaks to us, we, we anticipate it's going to be right here and right now. So your kids are running riot and, and, and you hear the promise of God's word that says this, all your children will be, will be taught by the Lord. God's promise, all your kids, they're gonna come, that's God's promise to us. And you hear that Sunday morning and you go out here with fresh hope and you go home and you expect to see all the little darlings just singing, singing glorious, wonderful Christmas Christian songs and think, hallelujah, the transformation has happened. But you go home and they're still laying in their beds listening to music that's got bad words in it and you think, oh Lord. Because when God speaks to us, we expect it to happen straight away, but the fact is this: what God says He will always do, and the truth is, He is never late. in In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, um, the prophet asks this question: "How long, Lord, must I call for help, but You do not listen?" Ever been there? All right. Lord, how long? How long, Lord, do I call for help and you do not listen? Or do I cry out to you? Violence, you know, people are hurting me, but you do not save me. And then here's God's response in verse 5 of that chapter. God says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days you would not believe even if you were told. So if you're sitting here today saying, how long, Lord, God's answer to the how long question is this. Keep your eyes open and keep watching and keep waiting for I'm going to make something happen you would not believe even if you were told. I had breakfast with an old friend uh, five or six weeks ago and uh, we were chatting and he was telling me, he said, you you know, uh, there was some... Things went on down in our family years ago, and my brother has never talked to me for 40 years. And he said, You know, I've prayed for 40 years. He said, Really? I've prayed. And he said, I haven't kind of been counting. I've just kept praying. And I haven't got impatient. I've just kept praying. And then he said, Look at this. And he passed me a letter. And it was a letter from his brother saying, If I send you the tickets, would you come and visit me? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? God says, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe it, even if you were told. See, the Bible says this. The Bible says God isn't slack with his promises. But it says you've got to know this. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. It's like all we see is the immediate and the urgent and the here and now. But the truth is, God's got this whole big picture, and God sees this whole big picture, and He's got the whole thing kind of worked out. And I look at today and think this is looking like disaster. But God's got the whole big picture and knows how it's gonna work out in in in, in the Full completion of his purposes. What we need to do is while we're waiting for God, we need to remind ourselves of what he has promised. You know, we panic when we forget what God has said. That's why we need to read the Bible. I'm a big advocate of that. Because we live in a world where we are exposed constantly to noises and opinions about this, that, and the other from all over the place. And if you're not careful, you can forget which ways up. That's why this time we spend together on a Sunday morning is so important. It takes us away from all the noise and the bustle, right? It's like... You know what? I didn't, you know, I'm sitting here and I do not know the latest twist and turn in the news headlines and I don't need to. I need to breathe. And I need to be reminded of the tremendous promises that God has given us. That's why I so encourage you to to make sure that out of here, you know, You find time. You make time to to do the things that are going to strengthen your faith, that are going to feed your soul because you've got to be reminded. We all need to be reminded of who God is, where he is, of what God's promises are because if we forget God's promises, then we're going to end up in despair. But if we remember God's promises, our faith will be strengthened Listen to other preachers. If they don't say the same as I do, I'm right. <laughs> if you're visiting with us first for the first time today, you, 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 know, you perhaps think I'm joking. No, I'm dead serious. There's a <laughs> no. Listen, you know, Listen to other. You know, listen, to, you know, Get fed by other sources. Um. You know, listen, listen to music that's going to feed your soul, right? I mean, you know, take in stuff that's going to be positive, that's going to be faith-building, that's going to be inspiring. Otherwise, we are left at the mercy of the thoughts in our own heads. Right? I don't know about you, but the thoughts in my own head usually don't do me good if they're left to run wild. They need to be corralled by the Word of God. Right? That's that's why we need that. Psalm 119 verse 28 says this. It says, my soul is weary with sorrow. So what's the solution? Strengthen me according to your word. That's the solution. Psalm 119 verse 107. Everything's falling apart on me. Put me back together again with your word. When you feel everything's falling apart on you, the danger is then you, you kind of get a little more distant from God. And, 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 you know, the truth is it's God's word that puts us back together every way we can. I really want to encourage you over this next couple of weeks, like, have you got a few things to do before, between now and Christmas? Right? I want to encourage you, prioritize the hour a week you will spend here for a couple of reasons. One is, it's pretty sad if we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and we don't make it to church. Hello? Just saying, you went dead quiet there. Right, because some of us are the people who protest, hey, let's not forget what it's all about. Jesus is the reason for the season. Keep Christ in Christmas. Sorry, can't make it next week. Hello? And the other thing is, we need the time to keep the inner person strengthened to hear what God is saying. Psalm 27 verse 13 says this, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we need to constantly be reminded of the goodness of the Lord and the promises of God. God's split second timing reminds me he is always in control and he is never, ever, late. God is the master, in fact, of split-second timing. So then, here's this question: So, what time is it for you? you? May say ten sixteen. No, no. Let's get a little more deeper than that. What time is it then for you? This this year, this time, December, whatever it is. What time is it for you? When I was. Uh, it was about three three weeks before my 26th birthday, we moved. Jill and I are, are a very young family. We moved to the northeast of Scotland, and uh, I went to pastor an established denominational church in a little commercial fishing community, way, way up in the north of Scotland. And uh, they were lovely people. They were great people. I remember our first Sunday there after our first service, we got home, and Jill said to me, well, that was interesting. She said it was just like being in the Church of England, which is kind of the Episcopal Church or something. And what she's saying, it was like very formal and very subdued. And that's the way the folks were. Now, I tend to be a little less formal uh, and a little less subdued. So at 25 years of age, coming into 26 years of age, Um, While I I loved pastoring this church, um, the way I'm wired is I'm wired to look at everything and think, how can we do that better? How can we do that different so that it's more successful? How can we do something so we shape it so we can reach more people who need to hear about Jesus? And it's very difficult if you go, and I didn't know this when I was so young. It's difficult to go into a very established church in a community that's kind of isolated and kind of, you know, kind of keeps itself to itself and to start to try to take, turn things around and to try to kind of contemporize things. And it was difficult. We started incorporating new songs into our services instead of just singing hymns from the hymnal. Uh, I got some of the younger people involved and there, there was a lot of different things happened, but there was a lot of resistance. And we went through several years where there was some open hostility with a number of people in the church. It was very difficult. They just didn't want it, and they'd be there, and, you know, if we sang a hymn, we'd stand up to sing the hymns, and if we sang a modern song, half of them would sit down again. They didn't want to sing that stuff. We're not doing this stuff here. It was really difficult. And I just kept pushing forward and pushing forward because there's one thing I I like to, you know, I like to give the impression I'm the most laid-back pastor you'll ever meet, and in some ways maybe I am, but I'm probably also the most determined pastor you'll ever meet as well. It's like, if we're going in a direction, we're going in that direction. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And uh, it was a very difficult environment for a couple of years. Some friends were saying to me, well, you know, why do you put up with it? Well, you got all this aggravation. Why do you? And there came a point one Sunday when uh, it was another night. We'd done a Bible study there, and I was leaving the church. And I was locking the door. And as I locked the door... It was almost like I heard, I'm not saying I heard God say this, but it was almost as, as real as if I did, as if God said, it's time, you can go. And that night I went home and I said to Joe, we're leaving. I was 34 years old. I had no idea where we were going or what we were going to do. But I said, we're done. You know what? Because God really just spoke into my heart and said, it's time. It's time. I knew it was time for us to move on. We moved on and we actually, we planted a church. If you want a church that's fashioned the way you feel God's guiding you, the best thing to do is to plant the church. Far easier than trying to turn around and establish church. So it was our time to do that. And so many periods in in, in our lives, I could say, God made it real clear, it's time. But my question to you today is this, what time is it? for you. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, it says this. Paul says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Paul says, look, you need to understand the present time. What time is it for you right now in your walk with God, your relationship with him? In First Chronicles and chapter 12, it, it lists some of the different um, tribes that were significant in the life of Israel back then. And it says, from Issachar, there were men who understood both the times and Israel's duties. These people understood the time and what they had to do. So what time is it for you? What do you need to do? What time? For some of you sitting here this Sunday morning, it might be time for you to come down off the fence and fully commit your life to Jesus Christ. It's a great time of year to do it, isn't it? Christmas 2018, I gave my life to Jesus. You can sit in church for years, but never really make the heart connect with God of opening your heart and saying, not only I believe Jesus came, but I believe he came for me. I believe he died for me, and I recognize Christ as my Savior. And you say, Lord, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. What time is it? It might be time for you to really open your heart to Christ and give your life to Christ. What time is it? might be time for you to finally forgive and let go. Forgive and let go. I, I read this the other day that anger is, the definition of anger is anger is what we do to ourselves when other people hurt us. Whoa. It's maybe time to let go. You say, Roger, you've got no, no idea. No, i got no idea, but I know this, that unforgiveness is a cruel thing. And this is a great time of year to stop letting those who hurt you have a hold on your life. Forgiving doesn't make anything right. Forgiving says, I'm going to let it go and leave it with God. Time to forgive. What time is it for you? It might be time to get help. Time to finally recognize, you know what? I haven't got control of some of the things in my life and I need help with this. Habits that hold you down, things that pull you back, things that dog you, things that are destroying you, and you can tell yourself forever and a day, I got this, but you know you haven't got this. Time to get help. Hey, maybe for some of you this Christmas, and I know some of you have already said this, it's time to get baptized. Time to get baptized. Our, the last Sunday of this year, our Celebration Sunday, we're offering baptism. As most of you know, we don't baptize babies here. We dedicate babies. We baptize people who are old enough to make their own commitment that says, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. And if you've not yet been baptized, maybe what you need to do is you need to understand it's time. It's time. Whatever's held you back. It's like, yeah, it's not for me, okay? You've got to work that out between you and God because God said he expects it of you. Just to help you out, there's a sign-up sheet at the front desk this morning as you leave. Baptism is such a huge freeing thing. Don't ask me how or why. It looks so real simple. You come up here, we put you in water, you get up again. It's like, well. But there is something of great spiritual significance that happens. Because if giving your life to Christ is like going through the narrow gate, getting baptized is like shutting it behind you. And what a great way to end the year to say, you know what? I totally am done with that. My life is Christ's. Time to get baptized. And maybe for all of us, it's a good time to say, I need to really just connect even better with the Lord. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says this. It says, it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and showers his righteousness on you. God's split second timing. And God's split second timing has you here and me here This Sunday morning, for what? What's next for you? What's it time for in your life? Those of you that are waiting for God, I want you to just be encouraged today. God's never late. God is always in control. But for every one of us, it's good to know what time it is. Let's pray together.